0: We will be in Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. That is the word of God. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. He's risen. He's risen Amen. Happy Easter it's good to be with you guys if we haven't had the opportunity to meet i'm John i'm one of the elders here uh, it yeah it occurs to me that there's a good chance that there's some of you that we have not been able to meet yet so we'd love to connect love to meet you guys uh, but let's let's jump in this morning it's It's Easter Sunday. this is the morning that we Celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of our Messiah. This is the central theme for us in the Christian faith. C.S. Lewis, I think the quote will be on the screen here. C.S. Lewis said, To preach Christianity meant to the apostles primarily to preach the resurrection. The resurrection is the central theme in every Christian sermon reported in the Acts. The resurrection and its consequences were the gospel or the good news which the Christians brought. For the apostles, the resurrection was the essence of what it was to preach the gospel. This is the essence of what we believe. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Sorry, I'm just jumping right in here, but Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, and when he set out to remind the Corinthians of the gospel, he says, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, in which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this is it right here. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I, for, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time. Most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. For Paul and for the early Christians, the resurrection was, was it. This is what everything hung on. This that we celebrate, that we remember today was the essence of Everything. One more quote, and then we'll jump into Mark here. Leslie Newbegin, missiologist, and he said, the resurrection is the revelation to chosen witnesses of the fact that Jesus who died on the cross is indeed king. Conqueror of death and sin, Lord and Savior of all. The resurrection is not the reversal of the defeat, of a defeat, but the proclamation of a victory. The king reigns from the tree. The reign of God has indeed come upon us, and its sign is not a golden throne, but a wooden cross. It's all about the resurrection. This is the central theme. And this morning... We are closing out the Gospel of Mark. This is a study that we've been in now for actually well over a year. We've gone through this Gospel. It's taken, carried us through this pandemic. And it happens to be, uh, through a little bit of moving around, that our last study happens to fall on Easter. Mark's story of the resurrection happens to fall on Easter. So this morning, we're going to look specifically at Mark's narrative of the resurrection. You might be wondering why we stopped at verse 8. Anybody notice that? There was all that, like, extra stuff at the bottom there. You guys here this morning? He's he's risen? Alright. We stopped at verse 8, and it seems kind of abrupt, right? And it is. Let's, I want to take a step back. I want to kind of walk through these eight verses, uh, take a, a, another look at this passage. So Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, some of Jesus' most devoted disciples, These are the women that Mark says were there the entire time during the crucifixion. They were there with him at the cross. They followed Jesus in Galilee. They provided for him. These are the same women that watched as Jesus was crucified. They watched as he died on Friday. They followed and they saw where they laid his body. And now, at the very first moment they could, they'd waited out the Sabbath and at the very first moment they had an opportunity, they head back to the tomb with spices intending to grieve and honor their friend with proper burial rites. Their goal here was to love their dear friend that they had just lost. They're worried about the stone that had been rolled in front of this tomb. And as they look up, they see that it's already been moved aside. Without hesitation, they duck into the tomb, they look and they see what's going on. These women are devoted, they're persistent. These are brave disciples of Jesus. But apparently they're not prepared for what they see inside of this tomb there's an empty space where their dead friend should be and there's a young man in white an angel sitting there this angel tells them that Jesus has been raised he says he is not here and he's going to Galilee. So these women, these these most devoted, persistent, brave disciples, they're frozen in fear and awe. The angel gives them two sets of instructions. He says, do not be afraid. And he says, go and tell. Go and tell the disciples, and especially Peter. Go and tell. And what do they do? How does, how does Mark end here? Verse 8. Mark says, they said nothing to anyone, and they were afraid. The end. Like, not just the end of our passage today, the end of the book, page break, move on to Luke if you 're feeling uh, a little unsatisfied with the ending you 're not alone <laughs> it 's definitely an odd way to end a book this is This has been a gospel we We opened up Mark. This is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, and it ends. with these brave disciples, these women, not saying anything to anyone and afraid. I, yeah. The earliest, the best manuscripts, this is what's going on here, the earliest, the best manuscripts, the best copies we have of Mark's Gospel end with verse eight. I know some of your Bibles, you guys, they have to verse 20, right? You guys have your Bibles? See them? Your Bibles will have to verse 20. There's other stuff there. Some of you are like, wait a second. There's more here. And if you look at your Bible, most of them, a good one, you'll see that there's two other endings here. One's probably in the footnotes, and the one's the rest that's left there. There's what's called the shorter ending and the longer ending. These are two additions that are found in later manuscripts. The early Christians, apparently, as they were transcribing these Gospels, as they were writing them down, preserving them for us to have, Apparently, they weren't any happier with the original ending than we are. So they tried to fix it. The so-called shorter ending, it's going to be probably in your footnotes, it ties a neat bow on the gospel. It tells us that the women did eventually tell the other disciples what happened. And it ends with saying that Jesus himself sent them out Uh, And through them, the sacred, sent out through them the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. It's a mouthful. The sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. So, come on guys, like we've, we've read Mark through this last year. Does that sound like Mark to you? Our plain spoken to the point, abrupt mark, cut and dry, the, the phrase, the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. The longer ending is even less subtle. It's actually, for the most part, it's a compilation sort of cherry picked from the other gospels. There's nothing inherently wrong. I mean, read it. Read the, the rest of Mark 8 and 9 through 20. There's nothing wrong with it. But no one, most of the scholars, none of the scholars for the most part think that they're original. There's a few outliers. But they show that people have been trying to fill in this big, awkward gap at the ending of Mark for a really, really long time. We're unsettled with the fact that it ends with these women in fear and not doing the thing that the angel just told them to do. One of the current theories is that the last page or the last section of the scroll, however it was, or the original got lost or mutilated Another theory is actually that Mark dropped dead in the middle of writing this paragraph. That's right, we're willing to kill off Mark to try to explain this odd ending. We cannot deal with an ending that leaves us in fear and silence. And yet, with all these wild guesses, early additions aside, fear and silence is what we're left with. Fear and silence is how this ends, is what we've got. This is how Mark closes his account of Jesus' life. Or at least, at very least, this is what we're given, what the Holy Spirit, what we're left with. This is how Mark's gospel ends. Or is it? As uncomfortable as this ending makes us, the good news, this is this is good news. We have four gospels, right? The good news is that the end of the text is not the end of the story. We know from the other gospels that the women do not stay silent. They eventually go and tell the disciples, Peter is restored in a beautiful way. They are eventually commissioned and sent out to go and make disciples of all nations. The very existence of Mark's gospel that we have testifies to their eventual witness. They had to tell us. There wouldn't be a story. We wouldn't know this if they didn't eventually tell. The other Gospels, they give us proof of the resurrection. Mary holding Jesus' feet outside of the tomb. Thomas poking at the wound in Jesus' side. Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus. Jesus eating with his disciples, eating fish by the side of the shore. But we don't get any of that in Mark. Why? Why not? What, what in the world is Mark doing? Why would it end this way? Why does Mark leave us hanging? Puts a big question mark in our minds. I believe it invites us to fill in the blanks. Think It's an invitation for us to become a part of the story, to do some detective work, to make some decisions. My question this morning is, what if Mark's gospel, Mark's ending, is not really an ending at all? N.T. Wright says, the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It's the decisive event, demonstrating that that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, and that you're now invited to belong to it. Remember, we've been saying this whole time: Mark is written for disciples. Mark is a road map for us as disciples of Jesus as to how we are to follow him. What if, this is just what if, we're thinking this morning, right? What if Mark deliberately, or at least providentially, his incomplete conclusion launches us back to the beginning of his gospel, back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry? You're looking for Jesus, the angel asked. He's not here. You just missed him. He's gone ahead of you to Galilee. That's where you'll find him. Galilee, the place where Jesus began his ministry, the place on the margins of Israel the place where the first nine chapters of this gospel took place. Jesus is leading the way back to Galilee. So that's where we need to go to find him. If you're looking for the resurrected Jesus, go to Galilee, back to the beginning. This is actually a technique used in some ancient meditation literature Ancient way of writing. The author would sometimes intentionally leave the ending ambiguous. That then requires the reader to go back and start over. This time to pick up new understandings, fresh insights. Read it again and again and again. Unlock even more meaning as you go. I think Mark's gospel is supposed to be read not straight through, but in a circle. I think he's calling us, (laughs) we're not gonna go teach through it again, but he's calling you, disciples, read it again. Go back to Galilee. If you wanna see the resurrected Jesus, look in Galilee. Read it again. This time you will see that Jesus is blessed And claimed by God from the very beginning. God says, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. In Galilee, Jesus doesn't just miraculously feed thousands. When he spreads out the feast, the desert becomes like green grass. And we get the hint this is the Messiah, the shepherd. In Galilee, Jesus doesn't just perform an incredible magic trick by walking on the water. He calms the chaos waters, takes on the divine name, I am. It's in Galilee that the disciples see Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop, surrounded by the presence of God. He's the anointed one. The Cloud Rider. When you go back to Galilee, you'll see that every appearance of Jesus is looking forward to the resurrection. Every appearance is a resurrection appearance. Go back to Galilee. Chapter 1 Jesus takes Peter's sick mother in law by by the hand, he raises her up, and she is healed. In chapter 2, he commands a paralyzed man to rise up. He gets up. He raises up, takes his mat, and walks home. In chapter 5, Jesus raises a child from the dead. He says, little girl, get up. In chapter 9, he takes a little boy who couldn't speak or hear. He raises him up. He heals him. When you go back to Galilee, we see that Jesus has been about the business of resurrection the entire time. This is where Jesus, where we find the resurrected Jesus in Mark's Gospel. This is where we find Jesus. He isn't at the tomb. He isn't there. We won't find him sitting around waiting for us. Jesus has moved on from the tomb. He has pressing business. The angel invites us as disciples to join him on this move. Go, gather with the disciples. Meet up with Jesus. Not at the center of power, not at the temple, not in some mystical vision of hope, but in Galilee, the symbol of the margins of society among the sick and the dead, the poor and the hungry. If you want to find Jesus, the resurrected Jesus that you're looking for, If you wanna find him, go back to Galilee, the place that seems the most God-forsaken. Jesus is there, he's healing, he's feeding, he's driving out demons, he's preaching hope to the brokenhearted, he's raising up people. When the world sees only death, loss, and pain, Jesus is at work bringing the resurrection. Where are the places in our world that seem dead, deserted? What are the places at the margins that we hardly even notice? Where are the places in our own past, in our own story, your own experience that seem beyond hope? That's where the resurrected Jesus is. He's there waiting for you. Where's Jesus? He's in Galilee. The place in your own heart that you've tried to forget. The broken relationships, the feelings of failure, the places of need and uncertainty. That's where Jesus is. He's there raising up, healing, feeding. And he's inviting you, disciple, to join him in that work. He's not here in Mark's gospel. He's not giving us proof of the resurrection, making sure that we have all of our doctrine right. He's on the move. He invites you to join him. In Mark's gospel, we get to write the end of the story, so to speak. The ending is not for the faint of heart. Even for the most faithful, persistent followers in the end, they're paralyzed with fear and awe. Mark's ending gives us the opportunity to step into their shoes. What will we do with our fear? What will we do with that that keeps us quiet? Will we wall ourselves off like a bunker, hiding in our fear from the outside world, waiting at the empty tomb for Jesus to show back up? Or will we go, gather with the disciples, be with other followers of Jesus, join him in Galilee, partner with him in the work of resurrection, bringing the kingdom? It isn't enough to know the truth. It isn't enough to just follow Jesus to the grave. We have to do that. We have to carry our cross. It's not enough to stay there. The gospel calls us to act and to speak in the context of community to go and tell. To go where Jesus goes and to speak the truth about the good news of the resurrected king who has conquered and is alive and is powerful and can accomplish what he sets out to accomplish. We are called as disciples to go and tell of our resurrected king. It's a refuge on Easter. This is Easter Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate. This is the epicenter of our of our calendar. We gather at the empty tomb with a decision to make. Wherever you are on your discipleship journey, if you're new to following Jesus, or you've been doing this for years, the question is, are we going to live in fear and be paralyzed? <laughs> or will we go and tell? Will we follow Jesus to Galilee, partner with him in the work of resurrection? I have one more quote here from N.T. Wright. I'm going to read this, and then I want to pray for us. N.T. Wright says, The point of the resurrection is that this present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in this present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly a little bit more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind altogether. They are actually part of what we might call building the kingdom, partnering with him. Amen. So I want to pray for you guys. Worship team can come back up. But I want to pray this morning that we would on Easter, we would remember the resurrection. We would remember our first encounter with the resurrection. When did you first meet Jesus? What was, what was it like for you? Remember your first love, the joy of your salvation. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you. That you are alive and well. We thank you that you are on the move and active. That you are on a mission. That you are pursuing us and pursuing our neighbors. God, I pray that you would help us to remember your love for us. Help us to remember your power. God, I pray that we would be a church of disciples who make disciples. That we would go and tell. God, I pray that you would show us our Galilee. That you would show us where you're at work in our lives. That you would show us where we can partner with you. Where are we to go, Jesus? How can we join with you in the work of living out the implications of the resurrection? God, I pray that you would send us as disciples to live out the gospel in our communities. That we would be resurrection people. That the resurrection would not be a -a once-a-year thing that we Remember, but it would be the driving force behind all that we do, all that we say, that we serve a risen king who has conquered death. Death has no sting. He's conquered the grave, and he is all-powerful. Give us eyes to see what you're doing and to follow after you, in Jesus' name, amen.